0: message this morning, as we transition, comes from a burden. The prophets of old had burdens that they sought to share, and I have a burden this morning. It's a burden for prayer, and particularly, it's a burden for a prayer meeting. Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher, once described prayer meetings as spare meetings, because of how poorly they were attended in London during his days as pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle. His experience, however, was quite different than the normal church. Listen to what he said as he addressed his Monday evening prayer ministry. He says, what a company we have here tonight. This was every Monday evening at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. It fills my heart with such gladness and my eyes with tears of joy to see so many hundreds of persons gathered together at what is sometimes wickedly called, oh, only a prayer meeting. It is good for us to draw nigh unto God in prayer and especially good to make up a great congregation for such a purpose. We have attended little prayer meetings of four or five and we've been glad to be there. For we had the promise of the Lord's presence, but our minds are grieved to see so little attention given to united prayer by so many churches. We have longed to see great numbers of God's people coming up to pray, and now we enjoy the sight, as he saw the hundreds of people who were there. I've heard reports that thousands of people came every Monday night to pray. Let us praise God it is so. How could we expect a blessing if we were too idle to ask for it? How could we look for a Pentecost when we never met with one accord in one place to wait upon the Lord? Brethren, we shall never see much change for the better in our churches in general till the prayer meeting occupies a higher place in the esteem of Christians. I guess that's the burden of my message this morning. It's what I hope comes about as a result of my message that prayer, the prayer meeting occupies a higher place of esteem of Christians at Rock Valley Bible Church, me included. I just say this, our prayer meeting at Rock Valley Bible Church has sadly and ashamedly a spare meeting. We've done everything possible to make this time as convenient as possible. Many churches have the prayer meeting on Wednesday night, which requires another gathering together, everyone to go out for another. We've made it just an hour before our service So you just need to come an hour beforehand. We tried to make it as as convenient as possible. We meet at Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. in the family room. You just need to come one hour earlier. We've had so few attend this meeting that it's been discouraging for many. We've had discussions among the elders about just stopping the thing. I mean, so few are interested. So few of you are interested in gathering together at church. The parade, what, what, what are we doing? Why are we putting our efforts into gathering on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock where there's so little interest? Should, should we have Sunday school we've thought about? And one thing that's come to my mind is this. What's the need at Rock Valley Bible Church? Is the need at Rock Valley Bible Church for more Bible teaching and more knowledge? Or is the need at Rock Valley Bible Church for more heart for God? Right, do we need more head knowledge of the truth? Or do we need more heart passion for God? I believe we need more heart passion, which is the idea of the prayer meeting. But with so little interest in the prayer meeting, we, we've considered just stopping it all altogether. And about two months ago, late October, I emailed Phil and Darren and just said, you know what? I'm willing to stop it. Let's suspend it. And Darren wrote back. says, I'm also disappointed by the lack of attendance at the prayer meeting. I begrudgingly, Agree to suspend it. And then he said this. And these are the words that have rung in my ears. And I said, we can't stop now. He says, I just hope this isn't the mark of the beginning of the end of Rock Valley Bible Church. I just hope that this doesn't mark the beginning of the end of Rock Valley Bible Church because we stopped having a formal gathering to pray together. You see, there are times when you can trace the downfall of an organization to a single event. Take the Dallas Cowboys Tony Romo gets hurt, shoulder, clavicle, whatever. And the Dallas Cowboys, which had Super Bowl hopes this year, dropped with their star player. They couldn't compete anymore. Or a church, change in pastor. New guy comes in, changes everything. People don't like him, they leave. Or business, some new product that the company invests everything in only to find out that it fails to meet expectations, couldn't recover. A marriage, maybe some high school reunion The husband links up with an old high school sweetheart and they go away with an inappropriate relationship that's like the beginning of the end and that's what darren's comment was was getting at that see i just think about 50 years from now when the story of rock valley bible church is told or whatever 10 years from now or 20 years from now because said well you know what there was a pivotal time in 2006 2015 when they suspended their prayer meeting and they they no longer prioritized the prayer together as a family. No, certainly people were praying together, but they, they no longer said, we're going to make a commitment to gather together as a church body, to pray and to seek the Lord and his blessing. And that really was the beginning of just the downfall. The church then didn't have a, didn't, wasn't really seeking God so much, and then this came and this came and this came, and that, that was the, the thing that stirred everything. Now, that's not to say, however, churches can't do well without a prayer meeting. For churches across our land do very well without a prayer meeting. K.P. Johannan, born and raised in India, founded the Gospel for Asia, which has like 10,000 national, missions, national missionaries. He writes this, his first visit to America prayer meeting. He says, I will never forget one of my first prayer meetings in America. I'd been in the United States only a few weeks, and I was eager to meet the spiritual giants and leaders that he'd only heard of, before in India. He said, even before leaving India, I'd heard of one man in particular. He was famous for his uncompromising defense of the scriptures and sound doctrine. So on that first Sunday, I hurried to visit a church, one of the most famous in the city. And more than 3,000 people attended the morning service to hear the talented choirs and the outstanding preaching of the word. My ears perked right up when the pastor of the church announced a special emphasis upon this midweek, upcoming midweek prayer meeting. There were some heavy things upon his heart, he said. He announced the name of a certain chapel and I determined to attend. And so on the appointed night, I arrived early, fearful I would not get a good seat or even a seat at all. Right away, I noticed the the room was for only about 500 worshipers, but there was no singing, no clapping. The hall was completely empty. I walked all the way to the front and took a seat to wait. By 7.15, I was getting really worried. Have I gotten the wrong hall, I reasoned? I even went outside to check the name on the door to make sure I was in the right place. Finally, at 7.30... Several others came into the huge hall. There was no leader, no songs, no worship. People sat and talked about sports and weather. And then about 45 minutes later, after about 45 minutes, an elderly man came in to lead the prayer meeting. The pastor was not even there. I counted seven people. The elderly man read a scripture, made some devotional observations, and led in a brief prayer. And as I got up to leave, I sat stunned. I said, what is this? We're not going to go and wait upon God Where was the worship, the tears? Where were the cries for guidance and direction? Where was the list of the sick and the poor and those in need? What about that burden the pastor said was heavy upon his heart? Uh, Were we not going to intercede for a miracle? What about missions? And and this church supported missions on every continent. We're we're not going to pass around the missionary prayer letters and pray together for those facing attacks from Satan on the front lines. And my hope and vision for Rock Valley Bible Church is that we would have a prayer meeting like they have in India like they have in Nepal, like they have in other places, like K.P. Johannen has experienced, like Charles Spurgeon has experienced, where many are interested in coming and many are interested in praying. I, I, I would envision Rock Valley Bible Church work, works like this, okay? We start at 9 o'clock, and we start by pouring out our heart to God in prayer for half an hour, 45 minutes, just praying, take a little break, and then we come together for a, a formal service, where, where there 's more formal singing and uh, praising God with one voice where the, the scriptures read, where the, scrip, the scriptures preach, and then comes eleven thirty where there 's a time of fellowship where where we staying around for another hour or so, just being with people and talking with people, connecting with people, and then slowly dissipate from nine to twelve thirty once a week. Prayer at nine, worship at 10, fellowship at 10.30 and seeing like that's what Sunday morning is for us and working hard to keep the midweek activities not so much so you won't be burdened by always going to church. You don't have time to reach out to those who need Christ. The whole purpose why we're here in the first place. Because I know that happens sometimes, right? You got a Sunday morning church, you got a Sunday night church, you got a Wednesday night church, you got a Tuesday night Bible study, you got this and that, and, and all of a sudden you are just the, all you know is Christians. You're in this bubble, but but make Sunday morning a time of celebration and joy with prayer and worship and fellowship that we and then we go out to make disciples of the nations. And the prayer meeting fits into that vision in such a way that that it makes it clear at Rock Valley Bible Church who's done the work here. We've prayed for God's blessing upon our lives. He's blessed us. We've prayed for God to bring people to himself. God's opened the eyes, them to see the gospel, added them to our number. And then people look at Rock Valley Bible Church and they say, how does a, a church do that? I mean, they're so, so loving and so passionate towards God, so effective in talking to those around them about Jesus. How many people came to faith? And the answer is, well, as a church body, they committed themselves to really pray. And, and God worked. God faithful to hear them and gracious to bless them. But without a, a prayer meeting, it might go like this. How'd that church work? Well, it's all our gifts and our abilities and our resources. Or in the case of J, the KP Johannin, it was all the, the great preacher and the choirs that could bring a crowd. Well, KP Johannin continues: many set up their churches and lives much like their secular businesses and careers, with Or without the blessing and presence of God, religion goes on as a well-oiled machine. Now, this may be okay for some of you. Like, I just love the Sunday morning. I love the worship. Love the people. That's wonderful. Love the people. But, you know, that prayer thing, it's not for me. If you're okay with that, that's okay. But it causes me concern as a pastor. I mean, what are we doing? Are we just a social experiment with, with God and teaching thrown in here? And I'm concerned this, because I believe, in some regards, the, the prayer meeting reflects what's going on. I mean, I, I, think it's, I think it's a thermometer. A thermometer, like, measures the temperature. It's different than a thermostat. Thermostat changes the temperature, which is what a prayer meeting should be. But a prayer meeting also measures the temperature where it is. It's, it's a mirror. and And I think, in many ways, prayer meetings across America are dwindling and are gone, canceled, non-existent because of our pride and our power. We as Americans have wealth, we have riches, we have abilities, we have comfort. It's not hard to follow after God. Relax. We have the resources. I mean, think about what, what, do, you, what do you pray for? Right? When you come to pray for something, what do you pray for? Health? Maybe safety and travel? You pray for those things which you have no control about. When you have a job, you pray for a job. What what about other countries? What what do people pray for in other countries? What do the poor pray for? James says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he's promised to those who love him? The poor are rich in faith because they have nowhere else to turn but to God. I've heard it said you don't need to teach a hungry man how to beg. Because a satisfied man has no need to ask. So my message this morning is a call for all of us to seek God in prayer. And if you haven't noticed, this is different than my regular preaching. Normally, I just open the Bible. We say, okay, let's turn to this passage. We turn to that passage. We never turn our Bible again because we're just digging in there. I'm reading it, explaining it, and, and applying it. Today is totally topical. I trust you'll forgive me. But my burden is is Prayer. And my hope and prayer is it won't fall on deaf ears. So let let, let me just pray for that aim right now. Father, I I pray that these words would first of all affect me. God, my own lack of prayer. I'm not the praying man that I want to be in in any measure. Um, Father, I suspect that is the case for many of us here in this room. Lord, I I pray that just we focus this month here upon prayer and, and the importance of that a life for church. I pray God, that you would stir us afresh with prayer depending upon you. Giving our time, we don't do anything but make our requests known to you and then trusting that you will be moved by us. God, that you will do your work in response to our prayers. God, because you stirred us to pray. That's how you work. So I pray, God, you would stir us now to pray that we might pray to you that you would do what you want to do in among us. Help us now, O Lord, we pray. Amen. My message this morning is called Circles of Prayer. I want to start with the innermost place of prayer and then just spread out, culminating at the prayer meeting because it's not just the prayer meeting. It's not just attendance, okay? It's not not attendance which does anything. You can have a church of thousands and nothing's going on. You can have a church of fifty, and a lot's going on. So it's not mere attendance that I'm I'm after when I talk about the prayer meeting, and you'll see that in my my message here. My my first point is this: pray alone. Pray alone. If you're not praying alone, there's no sense coming to a prayer meeting of corporate praying alone is the foundation of all prayer. To you, with your Bible, alone with God, communing with the Lord. That's how Jesus often prayed. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter. Five, okay, we're getting into our Bibles here, Luke chapter five and verse sixteen. Luke chapter five is the story of he cleansed the leper? It says, don't tell anybody. He goes out and tells people and verse sixteen, Jesus would withdraw. The desolate places and play and pray. The idea here in verse 16 is his pattern that he would slip away away and pray. Um, it's a thing that Jesus did finding a desolate place, finding a place alone and praying. As the New American Standard says, Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness to pray. That was his, his pattern. And how easy it is for us to think that Jesus lived a different life than, than we do. I mean, we're so busy. But Jesus kind of just walked around with his disciples, teaching them, encountering people, having time for people, and kind of just his different... He was living a different life. He was living the life of a pastor who works only one day a week. I mean, that was, that's Jesus' life. It was easy for him. But did you notice verse 15? But now, even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. The the picture we see of verse 15 is crowds upon crowds, pressing in to see him, to touch him. They feel his his healing touch. The picture isn't calm tranquility. It's of chaos and busyness and, and people all around just pushing their ways to the front. Picture a crowd of people trying to buy in a communist nation, the scarce resources that are there. Everyone's everyone's crowding in. That's what it was. Jesus was a scarce resource. And there he was. In fact, Mark's gospel told the time when, when one of these events happened and he went home and the crowd gathered again so that he could so much that he could not even eat Mark. and Jesus went to pray alone. Not because he had the time to pray, but because he had the need to pray. He had to get alone and pray. And listen, if the Son of God had to pray and get alone to pray, I think we need to pray alone. In doing doing so, Jesus just followed his own advice. Turn back to Matthew chapter 6. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, right in the heart of the sermon, he's talking about giving and praying and um, fasting. And in the midst of prayer, he gives some counsel. Basically says, go away. He says this, and when you pray, chapter 6, verse 5, Matthew 6, 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues, at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who's in secret, and your father who is in secret will reward you. He's talking about finding a secret place, finding a door. You're not, so not making a show of your praying, but just praying by yourself alone, where it's just you and God. You're not making a show. Do you have that place? Do you get alone? Some of your mothers with Small children, it's more difficult. May I suggest the bathroom? May I suggest late at night or early in the morning? May I suggest even just close your eyes for a while? Susanna Wesley had, I don't know, fourteen children, eighteen children. Her practice was to put a shawl over her head. And when she put a shawl over her head, none of her kids were ever allowed to bother her at all. All this stuff swarming on. She put a shawl she found her she found her private place. Alone amidst all these children, just by that little signal. Maybe you want to do something like that. But my exhortation is this find a place, pray alone. And you want to know how to pray when you're alone? Well, Jesus tells us, begin at verse 7, Matthew 6 7 And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Might just repetition these phrases over and over. They just think that God just wants to hear words. He doesn't want to hear words. He says, don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. So when you pray, just, just pray genuinely from the heart. Don't think that it's all about a matter of how much you pray and you've got to pray these specific words, which ironically, I think about the Roman Catholic Church. And these words they pray often and often and often and often and often. They pray thee, our Father. Verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I encourage you to pray this prayer. Perhaps you have it memorized. It would be good if you have it memorized. If you haven't got it memorized, it would be a good thing to memorize. But pray this prayer. But it's not that you need to pray this over and over and over again. But I would just encourage you to pick up the themes. Pick up the themes from Jesus' prayer and pray that way. Starting with God before we ever get to our needs. God in His holy majesty, how He's the the reigning king and longing for His kingdom to come. And then, after acknowledging who God is, then He gets to His requests, which is just praying for the needs of food and for forgiveness and for victory over sin. Just the essentials. I need food to live. I need forgiveness to live before God. And I need help to walk this life rightly. Strength through the temptations. If you're looking for something to pray about, pray through the scriptures. Now, I have a video I saw yesterday. I think it's a great video where John Piper just prays through these verses. I I just want you to watch this and just think this is why well, I would encourage you a model of how to pray. You want to say, how do I pray? Well, pray like this.
1: You have plans for the whole earth, even for the universe. And yet you care for us, even in the smallest details. You are King and our Father. Hallowed be your name. Make your great and holy name to be honored and treasured Above all things, especially deep in our own hearts and everywhere in the world. Your kingdom come. Cause your sovereign authority and wisdom to hold sway at all times in every place on earth and in the deepest parts of our own souls. your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Grant that your all-wise, all-good, all-just, all-holy will would be done throughout the world the way the angels do it perfectly and joyfully in heaven and make it a reality in each of us. this day our daily bread. We are not asking for riches, but for enough to live. We want to be healthy and to have a mind and body that work, sustain us, that we might accomplish what you call us to do, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. We are sinners and need to be forgiven every day. We know we don't deserve it. We ask for mercy, forgive us, draw us into the freedom of your love, the love you gave when your son died in our place. And lead us not into temptation, But deliver us from evil. We don't want to go on sinning. Keep us back from the entanglements of overpowering temptation. Guard us from Satan, from all his works and all his ways. Grant us to walk in holiness before you all our days. We pray this in the name of the one who taught us to pray, in Jesus' name, amen.
0: I trust you can see just the riches of such a prayer. Just taking the scriptures, taking the themes, just praying it back to God. This helps with the mind-wandering. Don Whit- Donald Whitney is a professor at Southern Seminary, where I'll spend this next week. He says in the title of the blog post that came out just uh, New Year's Eve, he says this, how I started praying the Bible. It was the 1st of March, 1985. I remember where I was when it happened. I was pastor of a church in the western suburbs of Chicago, and a guest preacher was speaking at a series of meetings in our church, and he was teaching on the prayers of the Apostle Paul found in the New Testament letters and encouraging us to pray these inspired prayers as our own. And then at one point, he held up his Bibles and said, Folks, when you pray, use the prayer book. Whitney says then, in that moment... I suddenly realized the entire Bible is a prayer book. We can pray not only the prayers of Paul in Ephesians, we can pray everything in the book of Ephesians. So I started praying each day through one of the passages of my daily Bible reading. Soon I was reading in the Psalms and found it easy to make the words of the psalmist my own prayers. For example, I read how precious is your steadfast love, O God, and spoke King David's exact words as my prayer. How precious is thy steadfast love, O God. Immediately adding other thoughts prompted by David's exclamation. After that, after I'd said all that came to mind from verse 7, then I read verse 8. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them to drink of the river of your delights. Yes, Lord, I prayed. Let me feast on the abundance of your house. Let me drink on the river of your delights. Feed my soul with your goodness. Satisfy my thirsty heart with your delights. Let me be immersed in the vast, deep, incomparable river of knowing you. I simply spoke to the Lord. Those things prompted me verse by verse in my reading of the psalm. If a verse didn't suggest anything to pray, I'd go to the next verse. And on and on through the psalm, praying as prompted by the things I read, I continued until I ran out of time. I discovered that praying the Bible helped me stay focused and minimize the tendency of my mind to wander. I stopped saying the same things, old, same old things over and over and over again when I prayed. And yet I found that I still prayed about the things I wanted to pray for, but I stopped using the tired, repetitive phrases that I typically used. Using this approach also gave me a much greater sense of conversing with God. Instead of the usual me-centeredness monologue that I hoped the God would hear, I read what he said in the Bible and spoke to him in response. And when I finished, I turned to the words of God again, and after which I spoke with him about what he just said in Scripture. And throughout my time in prayer, I kept alternating between God speaking his word and my speaking to him in response, just like a real conversation. Eventually, I discovered that what I'd stumbled upon was, in fact, an ancient Christian practice. Jesus prayed the Psalms on the cross. Followers of Jesus prayed in the book of Acts, prayed Psalms. And many prayerful people since Bible times, since George Mueller practiced praying the Bible. Regrettably, I've never been taught, I'd never been taught this simple, satisfying method of taking the words of Scripture, turning them into prayer, though he was a pastor. It's never too late to learn. So March 1st, 1985 was a day that forever changed my life and changed virtually every day of my life since And now, having prayed the Bible almost daily for 30 years, I can testify there's nothing in all my devotional life that more quickly and consistently kindles my consistently cold heart like prayer in the Bible, like praying the Bible. It is gratifying to be able to share with you something that's been so meaningful to me for so long. I hope you'll find the practice of praying the Bible equally meaningful and helpful in your own prayer life. And so I hope that helps. Just pray alone. All right, so there's our circle. Let's pray alone. Let's expand that. Okay? And I need to speed up. Second point pray with your spouse. Pray with your spouse. Now, I know for some of you, Nathan, pray with your spouse, impossible. Gage, can't be done. All right? Someday, maybe. Today, no. So, may the Lord treasure up these words someday when it is applicable, children. Some of you, very difficult. I'm thinking about those of you married to an unbeliever. Married to someone who's no interested in God and the Bible. Why would they be interested in prayer? I can't pray with them. Well, I encourage you to try. Just say, you know, honey, could I pray in your presence? And just ask, see if that's permitted, see how much antagonism is there. Maybe at dinner, maybe at night. You're not asking they're praying. You're just saying that you would pray. I encourage you to keep it short. Keep it authentic. Keep it true. For the rest of us, it's easy, right? Pray with your spouse? Piece of cake. All of you are doing that, right? You know, I bet less than half of you are doing that. In fact, I bet less than half of less than half of you are praying with your spouse. That's my guess. Uneducated. I thought this morning about taking sheets of paper and kind of giving a... Okay, how many of you are praying regularly with your spouse? I thought about doing that. But it'd take too much time. It'd be an interesting thing. But I've read something like 10% of Christian couples actually pray together. What an astonishing thing. That, dear friends, is a thermometer of what's happening in your faith. My hope at Rock Valley Bible Church is our percentage is Higher. But I know there are some of you. I don't know exactly who. But this is coming straight to you. I hope your spouse is here so you both can hear it. So you're both accountable to this. How do you pray together? Let me just give you three real quick pieces of advice. First of all, see the need. See the need to pray with your spouse. There's no command in the Bible that says, Husbands, pray with your wives. All right? There's there's nothing that... <clears throat> but some pastors come close. Turn, turn with your Bibles Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. This is a great marriage chapter. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. <clears throat> husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Verse 31, which is a quote back from what marriage is. <clears throat> Excuse me. From Genesis 2 verse 24. Therefore, verse 31... For marriages, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We're talking about unity. We're talking about marital unity here. I think in marriage, there is to be unity of heart, unity of soul, unity of the flesh. The marriage bed helps unity in the flesh, and prayer helps unity of the spirit. And the way that works is praying together. Do you see the need? I pray with your spouse. See the need? Second, find a place. If you're going to pray together, you've got to be together. So you think about okay, when are you together? You know, there are two times in the day that almost without fail, Yvonne and I are together. One's in the morning when we get up and we shower and get ready for the day, and the second is evening when we go to bed together. Now, sometimes i get up different times she does sometimes we go to bed different times but regularly we get up close to the same time we go to bed close to the same time Um, however she always gets up earlier than i do she goes and exercises and then comes back and then takes a shower and then i get up because she needs a lot less sleep than i do that's just how it works but we're at least we're at least together at those times and those coincidentally are the times when we pray together we pray together in the morning we pray together at night not always but regularly enough that that is the time when we, we pray together. And I say this, that our regular praying together helps us, has helped us to pray in crisis. You know, when you're concerned about your child, when some financial concern comes, or some difficulty for us in the church, or some sin in marriage, sin back and forth, whatever. We, we spent extended times praying together when there's some kind of crisis that we have faced. But that's been aided and powered by many little times together. <coughs> See the need. Find a place. Here Just Keep it short. Nothing's going to dampen a spirit of praying together in long-winded prayers. One's going to be tired of praying. The other probably is like forever. It's like, well, what, what are we doing? And I just say, you can work up to longer prayers. But if you say we want to pray together, just start praying together. Each pray for a minute. One pray for a minute. Another pray for a minute. In the morning, we're on our knees in our bed before our bed and at night it's before we go to sleep we're, we're lying together and i i pray and then she prays and i fall asleep while she prays oftentimes because she's not keeping it short <laughs> she's missed that but the other night i was praying and she fell asleep that's always i was like yes <laughs> but how easy it is man just take the lead in that Say, so let's pray Eyes shut lying together nothing else is happening Just pour out your heart to God. It's so easy, but it's so hard. But it is the circle of prayer. We start alone, then we go to your spouse. Next, pray with your family. Pray with your family. Now, again, this won't apply to everyone here. If you're living alone, it's difficult for this to apply. But if you're living with anybody, consider that your family. College students, when you go to the dorms, consider that your your family. Pray with those you live with. Maybe that's how you say pray with your family. But there is a simple and straightforward passage of scripture, I think, that addresses that. It's Ephesians chapter 6. Word is right there in Ephesians 5, chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. The responsibility of you fathers, which lies particularly upon you men, is to train your children in the ways of the Lord. Paul knew very well the difference between parents and fathers and mothers. I mean, chapter six, verse one children obey your parents. this is right, honor your father and your mother, and then it comes down to verse four, it's fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. Now bring your children up, the discipline and admonition of the Lord involves a lot of things. It, it involves disciplining them, the discipline it when they go astray. It involves instructing them in the right way. So all train them up. Right? Bring them up. Let's start training. Teaching them the Bible. Modeling a life of, of godliness. Extending lots of grace to them. But it also involves, I believe, showing them how to pray. Praying for, with them. And I, I think the best way to do this is in family worship. Where you gather your family to worship God together as a family. Your little church, if you will. Where? It's three simple elements. Don't have to always be there. But singing, reading the Bible, and praying. Just those, those three things. If you're not into singing, that's okay. A lot of times we don't sing at our place, our house. Sometimes we do. When We have musicians back from college. Been doing that this past week. It's been kind of fun. Hannah even played. She's learned how to play guitar. And so she played for us this week. It was very fun. It's not hard. But dads, it requires effort on your behalf. Especially the more kids you have, the bigger the effort. The more kids that come home, the busier your kids get, the more the effort comes. So, dads, I put this on you. Now, in some cases, when dad's not around, right? I put it on on you, women. Dad's not, husband's not spiritual. I put it on you to kind of try to help that. But it is it is upon you. But anyway, what do you think, dads? About a time when your family is together, and if you're if you're observant at all, you might find times where you know we're just not doing much. We got kids putzing on the computer over here. We got somebody watching TV over here. We got Netflix going on here. We got the ball game going on there. We got nothing. Why don't you redeem those times and just look around, dads, and just say, you know what, <laughs> we could spend some better time worshiping God in our home. And so it. I tell you, it just gets harder and harder. When our kids were younger, kids weren't out, we had regular, like every night for years we did that. But as our kids are getting older, they get driver's license, they're out, they're, we're gone, we got stuff going on. It's become much more difficult. We've become much less regular in recent days. We've not been perfect, but it is enough to know of our family that we do gather and read the Bible together and we do pray. We do in the evening and, and this week even I said, okay guys, how about... How about at 8 30 can we do that 8:30. is that okay is that okay is that okay 8:30. Okay, it's like whatever 7 45 so 8 30 we're in gathering is that okay and again I give them a 10 minute warning and then at 8 30 you know how many people are sitting down ready for that zero I got to be the first one I'll be there at 8 30 and then oh dad's there okay and then they kind of meander in so you kind of waste some administrative time and it's 8:35 35 by the time everyone's there and settled and so dad you got to wait for five minutes to gather everybody it's kind of more more difficult but a portion of that time includes some praying together. Sometimes I just pray. Sometimes we have all of us pray. When kids are young, we just kind of instruct them how to pray. As they mature, they begin to come up with their own prayers. And it's interesting. I just find them maturing into seeing how we pray. You're modeling prayer before your, your kids. Seeing how we pray, hearing how we pray, and then they start praying in that, in that sort of way. And I would just encourage you families in this. Um, I, I wrote a little... A little piece. Let's see. It's probably here on the front of my Bible. I brought it. A little brochure. Um, it's right on the back table. You can look at it. Is family worship practiced in your home? Uh, this is about a decade ago. I I wrote this. Talked about what is family worship. Is family worship really required of us? I addressed that issue. And then on the back page, I hit excuses. For the neglect of family worship, I just like to read those for you because I think that's where most of you probably are. Oh, I, I can't do it. He says, um, "Here's excuse number one." And this is all I got, by the way, from uh, J.W. Alexander's Thoughts on Family Worship. I, I share this illustration about Donald Whitney knowing right when and where he was when he heard this message <laughs> about praying the Bible. I can tell you when and where it was when I bought this book. It's been a valuable book for us. I read it through a couple times. We've thoughts on family worship jw alexander but in the end he he gives nine excuses i kind of summed them up he says family worship as i've seen is a dull formality and my house is as well without it that's the excuse and then um, my comment would be well the misuse of something doesn't mean that we shouldn't use it correctly the worship of god ought never to be dull Second, family worship may be well enough in itself, but it does not fall within the customs of my house and my guests. My comment is this. Favorite television shows, late nights out, and protesting children are all obstacles, to be sure. But such customs, however, ought to magnify the great need of your house to focus hearts Godward. Number three excuse. I have no time for family worship. My response. Schedules and meetings and activities will always battle for your time. You need to prayerfully evaluate your household priorities in light of eternity. Fourth excuse our family's so small. <laughs> my response it ought to be easier for you to gather for worship. Certainly, a husband and wife can find a few minutes each day for the practice. Excuse five my family's so large. My response with a large family comes greater responsibility. Think of the multiplied effects of your neglect of family worship. Excuse number six, there are persons present in my house whose superior age or intelligence deters me from my duty. I respond, your attempts at leadership will be respected. Number seven, I am unlearned and destitute of gifts. My response, can you read? Perhaps you could begin by reading a devotional book to your family. Many such helps are in print today. From time to time, we read devotional books. We read other books, just... Eight, my family is unwilling to unite the service. My comment, stand strong like Joshua. Ask for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Final excuse, number nine. The truth is, I'm ashamed to begin. And I respond, ah, now we are getting someplace. Because I think that's it's a confession. Guys, I confess. Maybe you go home tonight. I confess we've not gathered together as a family to worship God. Just confess that to the Lord, say, with God's help by his grace, let's just let's just begin something. And if you're looking for vision direction to do, how about you start on the fighter verses? So we've done all week long, we've been in Revelation twenty one. Listening to the song, trying to figure it out. Okay. And then talk about heaven and what heaven's gonna be like. We've had great conversations about that. So I encourage you. Family worship. I plug family worship. Once every two years, maybe. That's, there it is. And I'm just going to say, it'll make a difference in your family. Seek to do it. And, and again, it's not formality. It's because you want to draw your family to worship Christ. Okay, pray alone. Pray with your spouse. Pray with your family. Finally, pray with your church. This is where I've been headed. I do believe there is sufficient scriptural warrant for this. Turn to Acts chapter 1. Look at Acts chapter 1. Shortly after Jesus ascended into heaven, his disciples seemed lost, confused. They were without direction. They didn't know what to do. And so what did they do? They gathered together to pray. Acts chapter 1, verse 12 begins this way. They returned to Jerusalem from the Mount Colivet where Jesus ascended, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. <clears throat> Short walk. As I recall, it's just kind of down the Kidron Valley and up. It's not very far at all. You can see where there is. And when they had entered... They went up to the upper room where they were staying. He lists the apostles there in verse thirteen. And then fourteen he says this all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They were all praying. They were there with the women. They were all just they just I think they were confused. They didn't know what was happening. So they were just there. What do we do? But did you notice what verse 14 says? They were devoting themselves to prayer. They were giving themselves to prayer. And was modeled in the early church, was later commanded by the Apostle Paul. He said in Colossians 4 verse 2, be devoted to prayer. Now when Paul said that, did he just mean praying alone? Be devoted to praying alone. I don't don't think so. I think he had probably in mind all these circles of prayer. If you're devoted to something, you're devoted to that all the time. In whatever circle, in whatever sphere. So I think when you're devoted to prayer, be devoted to praying with your spouse. Be devoted to praying alone. Be devoted to praying with your family. And be devoted to praying with the church. Because, indeed, that's the first context of chapter 1, verse 14, that the the church, all the believers, were there together. In fact, it may have been the whole church. All who were there, believers of Christ. That wasn't the only time the church was devoted to prayer. Look at Acts 2, verse 42. <clears throat> the great pillars of the church, the activity of the church. And they devoted themselves. Proskotoreo, the same verb used in Colossians 4, same verse used in, in um, Acts chapter 1, verse 14, to be diligent, diligently efforted towards. They were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and to prayers we can comment on all those but my point of attention this morning is on prayers they were devoted to prayer the early church was and we see prayer meetings in the early church turn over to acts chapter 4 Peter and John had been arrested for preaching the gospel. They stood before the Sanhedrin. They stood firm. Said, we must obey God rather than men. They got released. They come into the home. And verse 23, chapter 4, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices. This is many together. They lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Sounds a lot like um, the Lord's Prayer who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and here they're just praying Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage like Donald Whitney was talking about? And the people's plot in vain and the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Right? Psalm 2, Why the, the, the rulers are against the anointed. But why is this? And they prayed to God, truly in this city, they're just rehearsing what, what, what took place, We're gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. In other words, this is not out of your control, God. This is what your hand determined would take place. And now, O Lord, look to their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And here it is, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. I would not be surprised if that was a physical shaking. That is... A mug for any of you visiting today. You can have that. So, it was shaken and made an impact. And they went out. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. My heart's desire for Rock Valley Bible Church is we'd have some earth-shaking prayer meetings. A couple of our young people went to um, Urbana. David, were you there too? Yes. Uh, I didn't know that. You missed prayer meeting, so I didn't hear the update from you. But I heard the update from Amanda and from Armin and Struck. And Amanda said 16,000 people praying was the highlight of the week, praying for the unreached peoples of the world. And there is something about prayer. When you come together, the more that are praying together, the, the, the more passion that comes. And so when you have a spare meeting, like we often have, it's discouraging. It's like, where's the power? But if more people would come. I would love to have to meet in this auditorium because there's no room in the family room for all the people coming to pray. That's my heart desire, that we'd be together praying. We'd be together seeking the Lord. We'd be together giving thanks to God that he would shake this place. But you know what? It cannot happen unless many of you make a commitment to say, yes, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to attend the prayer meeting. Now, I know over the years, some of you were with us for years. You kind of faded off. I just encourage you to come back. Come back and pray with us. That would be good. Um, Some of you, though, this is the experience. I know some of you. I make some mention about prayer meeting. How it's a good thing to come to. And you come once, and you see how it's a spare meeting. You say, I don't want any of that. And then you leave. And many have just visited the prayer meeting once. And I know this experience for many of you because I've been there every time. And I see you come once. I'm like, oh, great! And then you're, you're not there, and like, okay. Well, apparently we're lifeless. That's okay. Why don't you come and give us life, <laughs> right? Well, see what what's what's interesting about a prayer meeting is that it's not a show. I mean, for a prayer meeting to fly, you've got to bring the prayers, right? You know, you know what I'm talking about? It, it, it can't just be that, that one person just runs it. It's that everyone's got to come. And so you've got to be coming and bringing and adding to that. And if nothing's there, it's because you haven't added anything to that. If nothing's there, it's because I haven't added anything to it. I'm preaching to myself as well. I just want to add something to that prayer meeting. I want you all to add something to that prayer meeting and come. Here's what I want you to do, though. I want I want to give you a vision for that prayer meeting to be committed to it. It might just be that your presence, right, those of you who've visited only once, what if rather than 30 people, what if there were 80 people at that prayer meeting? You think you'd come again? My guess is you probably would, because you're like, oh, something's happening here. I'm not sure if you ever thought about how Rock Valley Bible Church got started. First meeting, we had like 14 people, something like that. And um, I remember speaking on um, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, how that's what we're kind of seeking 14 people. Now, what if people came in and saw our 14 people and said, that's not true, I don't want to be a part of that. And then just left. Where would we be? We'd be 14 people still. But why did people come and stay? It's because they had a vision of a bigger reality. And I guess that's what I'm encouraging you to do is think about prayer meeting. Oh, there are only a few people here. But can you vision with me a whole church praying together passionately together? If you can envision that, that's what I'm aiming for. That's what I'm calling all of us to aim for. And you might be committed then for the long haul because you see what it's supposed to be. You see what what we're aiming for. Just like Rock Valley Bible Church when we started. It took people to buy in to what we could be. And so the prayer meeting is going to take people to buy in to what we could be in that prayer meeting so I want you to do is say this: I'm, We're committed to this. We're, we're, we're committed to come an hour earlier than we've normally come. We're committed to start church at nine o'clock from now on on Sunday mornings. We're going to get in this habit, even if there are only a few. We're going to get there because we see the vision and we, we long to have a church that's totally dependent upon God and God alone. Now, a lot of you have excuses, okay? And that's okay. Um, it's too early. It's the only time I have to sleep in. I'm like, okay, if it's too early for you, that's okay. Uh, Lots of grace can be extended here. If you don't show up next week, that's okay. If it's too early for you, that's just fine. I don't like to pray publicly. Well, consider Acts. I just encourage you to do that. Consider what it means to be devoted to prayer. I find it boring. Quite frankly, we're boring many times. That's why I'm calling you to come and help give it life. But is communication with God really boring? As R.C. Sproul has said, that whenever anybody encounters God, the last thing they ever say is that that was boring. Isaiah encountering the holiness of God, he didn't go away and say, wow, that was boring. (laughs) When you genuinely encounter God, that will never be boring. It's boring because... Our hearts are weak and feeble. Are you weak and heavy laden? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Well, maybe your excuse is not many people come. Well, I hope I get a vision for more people coming. Maybe your vision is, well, I got all these kids. It'll be a distraction. What about what about now? Are your kids a distraction? You say, no, they're in a nursery. Well, if we had a lot of people come in the prayer meeting, we have a nursery for prayer meeting. In fact, right now, a lot of the older kids take care of the younger kids. Steffi does that, right? takes care of it, and they just kind of hang out, and they just do that. But if there's a need, we can certainly get something more official going during that hour. Your kids aren't really a problem. i just say this. It's only by the grace of God that you will overcome your excuses. And I would say this. When the heart is willing, the feet are swift. If your heart is really willing to pray, your feet will be swift to be there. And I guess that's why I say, it looks like a thermometer. I just wear our hearts with prayer. The one time we gather together, said a church, family, all together. Where's our heart? And pastorally, it's a discouragement to me. Perhaps the day will come, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and they'll look back on the history of Rock Valley Bible Church and just say, you know what? Something happened in 2016. What What happened to Rock Valley Bible Church It just changed it so much? And what are we going to be able to say? Well, it's because the church made a church-wide commitment to really seek the Lord together. And God was faithful to answer and hear our prayers. That's my hope for our prayer meeting. We'll be talking about prayer in the next couple weeks, so let's pray. Father, this has been a burden. I pray, O oh Lord, that we would treasure in the truth of the gospel, not in the hope of a persuasive message by a man. Father, in fact, I'm I'm fearful of that. God, just longing for these many years, just to see you work apart from a message like this. But Lord, would pray that you would God, do that, where our prayer meeting would be an encouraging place to be, where people would want to be there. God, to, to overcome, just saying, not, not coming because they've got everything together, but coming because they say, oh, I need to pray more alone. May this fuel my prayer alone. I need to pray with my spouse. May this, may this help me in some way to see you, oh God. And I, I need to I need to pray with my family. God, may this help me in those ways. And so God, I I pray that you would do this. I thank you for the ways in which people get together and pray. Whether well, it's men's groups, whether it's ladies' groups, whether it is our small groups, that's a wonderful... God, thank you for the testimony. I hear from the small groups, at least from the Guskies for sure, that the prayer time is special. We pray at ours a lot. God, but we pray that you would allow us to come and all pray together. God, because this church is, is not us. It's not built on our wisdom, but it's built on Jesus Christ, and it's built on you as we, as we just give you our prayers and petitions. So help us, oh God, in these things. And, and I pray now as we transition from our prayer this morning to our our worship now to our, our fellowship time today, Oh, God, we have a potluck. God what fellowship dinner we have with lot much food. Lord, we pray that much fellowship, genuine interaction, genuine encouragement would take place. God, may we be encouraging to one another, may we lift one another up, may we bear each other's burdens. God, may you bless that food to our bodies, and God may in always you be exalted. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.